You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. tonight I've been uh, tasked with the privilege of being able to deliver the word of the Lord to you and uh, just going to pray that God's will will be done. I'm going to speak to you for a few moments here tonight on this topic. And he prayed and he prayed. Could we just join our voices together and pray together one more time. Ask God's will to be done. God we are so thankful for your presence that we have felt in this place in such a powerful way. As we began to sing your praises and lifting up our hands, lifting up our voices and praise and worship to you. God, we sang about how great your name is. Lord, that there's nothing else like it. God, we prayed here today, Jesus. We praised, Lord, about how you are our Savior, the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. And we ask you right now that you would let your will be done. Let your word resonate in our hearts here tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, for <laughs> Sister Harris is still standing. You may be seated. <laughs> Amen. Um, people today are riddled with anxiety. Many are full of anxious thoughts throughout the night and um, feeling an impending sense of danger just around the corner, like, like something could happen. I know the times have been good, but that just means that something bad is coming. For some, this apprehension is about different things. It could be about their job. It could be about their marriage. It could be about their children. And most of us think if we had a little more money, maybe a life by the beach somewhere, doesn't that sound nice? Or if we had less to do, then we'd have a better life. If the wife didn't nag so much, if the children would hurry up and grow up, if my boss was easier to work for. Now, I'm not talking about my boss. we'd have a more full, less stressful life. And yet when we turn to the Bible, we, we don't see every tear being wiped away until God comes back for his church. As long as we have this old world, there will be pain. As long as we live here, there will be trouble. Wow, thanks for the TED Talk, Pastor Mark. What we do see in the Word of God are promises after promises from our Savior that He will save, that He will deliver, that He will keep, that He will preserve, that He will heal. Amen. How many want to testify of that tonight about His healing power? You're here tonight. Amen. We live as witnesses of His goodness. Promises like the one Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Promises like Isaiah said in Isaiah 26 verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Promises like Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged here tonight because we've got God with us. 
And as you read them one by one, you begin to understand the value that there is in prayer. It's not that it's always, it, it always makes the troubles or the worries about trouble go away. It's that those troubles don't seem as big when we slip our hand into his nails cart hand. It's not that the mountain goes away every time. It's that from heaven's point of view, it's in the hands of the master. Prayer is the most undervalued resource of the church. The Bible teaches us that all the blessings that God wants to bestow on us, He does so through prayer. It is the conduit by which His power comes into our lives and into our families. John Wesley, he once said, God does nothing on earth except an answer to prayer. The means by which God releases His power on earth is through prayer. It is the way we lay hold on the promises and blessings of God. It is the means by which we align ourselves with His will. We are not bending God's will to fit our own when we pray. I hope that's not how you pray. Bending His arm so that He'll do what you want Him to do. We are allowing God to reshape us in prayer so that we line up with His will. As Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, when faced with impending death on the cross, he said, not my will, but thine be done. It was an example to us that it's not about our will. It's about his will being done. The Bible is a book of promises, over 3,000 of them, all of which are for us. And we've just put out the Bible reading charts for this year. We have them available in the lobby and, uh, of course, encourage each one to read through the Bible this year. But as you read the Word, pray the Word. You will be amazed at the strength that you pull from the Scriptures when you read, the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And then you begin to pray, Lord, you are the strength of my life. What do I have to be afraid of? And tonight we look at a guy named Daniel and his relationship to prayer. Daniel, he is one of the most famous Bible heroes of all time, and through the power of prayer, when God chose not to shut the mouths of his adversaries that rose up against him, he shut the mouth of the lions that would have devoured him. I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 6 with me tonight if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be up on the screen, but Daniel's story is in your Bible so that you'll always have hope. Hope is the confident and certain expectation that the best is yet to come. How many know that in 2024, the best is yet to come? And we have a hope that this world cannot destroy. We have a hope that we can turn to in prayer and find perfect peace that goes before us and works in us, that never leaves us, that will never abandon us. Daniel, he knew this hope all too well. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. 
than these men said. We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so these governors and satraps, they thronged before the king, and they said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, everyone agrees. We have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign in the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius, he signed that decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel was an Israelite captive that had been carried off to Babylon, probably, scholars say, somewhere in his middle school years. He was deported to the modern nation of Iraq. He would have spent the rest of his life in this foreign nation, and he was given no choice in the matter. He entered captivity as roughly a 15-year-old, and by chapter 6, he is well into his 80s. He was forced there by the Babylonians that were looking for the best of the best. And Daniel was just that. He was among the best looking. I know he wrote the book, and he said this about himself, but... This is the word of God. This is what it says. He was among the best looking. He was the smartest, he wrote. Socially well-to-do. The creme de la creme. I bet you didn't know I knew Spanish. There was just something about Daniel. Something about him. The Babylonians, they soon learned that Daniel's God was above any that they had ever encountered. If you would have approached Daniel and asked this elderly man, would you tell me your secret to success? You ever wonder that? With some people, you just want to ask them, would you tell me your secret to success? Daniel, he wouldn't have told you that it was hard work or luck. Daniel would tell you it's prayer. Daniel's secret to success was his prayer life. He was a man who feared the Lord. But there are only so many positions at the top. As we find out from the story, and Daniel's fellow high, high officials, those ones that were in charge alongside of him, they wanted the penthouse. They wanted to be on top. And so to get there, they schemed against Daniel. You can almost picture them meeting in dark alleys together, speaking in whispered tones. How are we going to bring Daniel down? Every idea was quickly shot down when they began examining his life. They couldn't find any fault. As hard as they looked, they couldn't find anything to pin on him. Instead, the Bible tells us that they found he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Daniel was a man whose first commitment was to please the Lord, and so his political enemies, they decided they, that they were going to weaponize Daniel's faith against him. We know that he prays to God, and nothing will stop him from praying. He won't stop praying to his God no matter what, so we'll use his faithfulness against him. We'll make the king sign a decree that no one is to pray to anyone else but the king for 30 days, and anyone who violates that order will be thrown into the lion's den. Look at Daniel's reaction. We'll read it again. Daniel, he knew that the writing was signed. He went home, went into his upper room, just like he'd always done, 
with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom. This is something that he had done since he was young. And Daniel, he hears that this writing was signed. What does he do? He prays at the same place, at the same hour, in the same position, in the same spirit as he has done before. He did what he had always done. He reaches out to heaven. There was no alteration in his convictions. The same God who never fails will not fail him now. Daniel, he didn't pray with his windows shut and he didn't adjust his prayers according to someone's convenience. His prayer life shows us that when life opens up new threats, don't shut the door on prayer, but open it wide open and see what God will do. He prayed as he had, as he had always done. And Daniel, he didn't get his marching orders from what was popular and trending on Twitter. I don't know if they had Twitter then. Or what was deemed socially acceptable and politically correct at the time. He got his marching orders from the Lord, which was, by the way, the key to his success. He was disciplined in his prayers. The story tells us Daniel prayed routinely three times a day. Actually, this is something that if you study it out, it goes back to the patriarchs, something that they had initiated, and I can't say the Hebrew names for each prayer that they have, but they name those prayers, their morning prayer, their afternoon prayer, and their evening prayer. They have specific names for them, and Daniel, he was accustomed to this. If Delilah were in the story trying to find the secret of Daniel's strength, she would find it in his prayers. The most important discipline we have is meeting with God every day. Jesus, he prayed all night before choosing his disciples. How many big decisions have we gone into without seeking God's direction? You would buy a chocolate bar without asking the Lord, but you certainly wouldn't buy something as big and as important as, let's say, a truck, right? Prayer is how God releases his wisdom and power for change in you. The night before Jesus died, he had taken three of his closest disciples deep into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. Jesus was about to go through the greatest struggle that he had ever been through. And he wanted these chosen men to pray with him. He left them in a place to pray, and he went on a little farther into the garden to pray by himself telling them that they needed to pray, that they would not fall into temptation themselves. When he came back, he found them asleep. When he woke them up, they, I don't know, maybe they probably tried to pretend like they weren't sleeping. Don't think you can fool anybody when you fall asleep in church. You ain't praying, you're playing. <laughs> Jesus, he wasn't fooled. He said, could you not even watch and pray with me for an hour? When the Lord found Peter sleeping, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh and our spirit, they war against each other. It's not always easy to discipline ourselves to prayer. Faithfulness doesn't come easy. Sometimes you have to drive through a storm in order to get to church. But you're here. You're faithful. You made it. Sometimes life's circumstances drive us to our knees in desperation as we call it to God in prayer. 
Sometimes a sermon grieves our soul, reminding us of the neglect we've had in communing with the Lord. Prayer is God's means of strengthening your spirit to avoid temptation and to snap the world's power over you. We need it, church. We need it. I'm not saying that praying three times a day is the magic number. But what if we clothed ourselves each day in prayer? What if we were drenched in prayer so that when temptation does come knocking, the wind is knocked out of its sails? What would happen if instead of getting upset at someone, you prayed for them? What would happen if instead of accepting that you will always live overcome in life, you gave it to the one who overcame the world? Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. We must be disciplined in prayer. We can't afford the time it takes to build the wrong house. We must be built on prayer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it tells us, You also, as living stones, that's you. It's talking about the church. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the central block that everything else is built around. And guess what, church? He is building his church. Each of us are lively stones. And every day, he is adding stone upon stone as people come to him. The building is being built. The church is coming together at the hand of the master builder. And you and I have the awesome privilege of being a part of it, stone upon stone, in unison with his perfect will, lining up with him, lining up with him. Acts 2 was so powerful, not just because they were all in one accord, but because after they had spent time in prayer, they were all in one accord with God's will. They had aligned themselves with the chief cornerstone. They were, as Paul would write to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. When Daniel prayed, he was praying like he had always done. His accusers, they come and they tattle to the king. This man has broken the law. He continues to pray to his God, even though you have decreed that no one can pray to anyone except the king. King Darius never wanted this to happen. He loved Daniel. Now he couldn't take it back. Everyone knew that the law of the Medes and Persians, once it's passed, it can't be altered. Daniel had to be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, it says, So the king gave the command. As much as he didn't want to, he gave the command. And they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, Even the king knew this. He will deliver you. Even the king knew that Daniel continually served the Lord. And because of his faithful witness, the king knew that he would deliver Daniel from this. But even though he said this with confidence, the Bible tells us that the king 
still stayed up all night anxiously waiting for daybreak. Daniel's enemies, they stayed up all night partying. It seems like the only one who got a good night's sleep was Daniel. I find it interesting that the story is from King Darius's point of view. Even though Daniel wrote the account, the reader is taken into inside the king's bedroom rather than inside the lion's den. And there's a real irony here when we compare the two men's perspectives that night. One man was at peace while the other was in conflict. We are told that the king cried out in a tone of anguish from the safety of his kingly palace. All the while, it was discovered that no kind of harm was found on Daniel inside the lion's den. When you are working against God, you will not sleep. But when you are in the will of God, smack dab in the center of God's will, you will sleep even on a bed of lions. The king had everything at his disposal for comfort and for rest. Daniel, he only had the presence of God. The king had musicians brought in and different things to try to soothe him. All Daniel needed was the presence of God. That's all he needed. And at daybreak, King Darius rushed down to the den to check and see if somehow Daniel had made it. Verse 20, it gives us the account. It says, and when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take up Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Despite all odds, God kept Daniel safe. We serve a faithful God that will shut the mouths of the lions. And we are a living testimony of his saving power. We're a living testimony of his keeping power. Three chapters later, this faithful man records one of the prayers that he prayed. Daniel chapter 9, verse 17, it says, Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our religious deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. The whole reason the people of Israel were in the mess that they were in, in this foreign land, was because they stopped following the Lord. They stopped praying. God told his people that if they stopped following him, he would hand them over to their enemies. And Daniel, he begins praying this prayer of repentance on behalf of all the people. I know we haven't listened. I know we haven't followed you like we should. And he says, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. God doesn't hear prayers that are based on the idea that you are worthy to be heard. He hears prayers that make their hope his great mercy. We can't come before him because of our goodness. 
but we can because of his goodness. What Daniel prays is a reverse of what God said would happen. Moses gave this insight to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, O Lord, pay attention and act your city. And it is a near verbatim quote of the promise that God gave if Israel went into exile and they repented, that God would restore them to Israel. See what Daniel is doing? He is holding up God's words to God. Lord, you said in your word, and I believe your word. Let it be done just as you said it would. Lord, you said that you would hear us. You said that if we would find, we would find you if we search for you with all of our heart. Well, here's all of my heart. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is our prayer book. Your ability ability to lay hold of the promises of God is entirely dependent on your knowledge of those promises. So we open up his book and we begin claiming what he said. If you want the help of heaven, you must listen to the words from heaven. Prayers that are effective begin and end with the promises of God. To have your prayers answered, you must pray according to the will of God. Martin Luther, he said, in prayer we perceive the will of God for a situation and defy the situation that currently is and pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer, it helps us identify the gaps. A young Scottish pastor in the 19th century named John Patton He was leading a very successful church in Scotland at the time, and he grew increasingly burdened about a group of islands that he just heard about in the Pacific that was inhabited by people who had never heard the gospel. It weighed on his heart heavily, and he knew they have to know what we know. The problem was that these islands, the New Hebrides, were filled with cannibals who had a history of eating any foreigner who came on shore. No Westerner knew their language. So what exactly do you do to start a church in a place like that? You can't pass out pamphlets that say, Easter service this Sunday, come and bring a friend. Someone might think that your friend is delicious. Brother Patton knew that God was not willing that any should perish. And so he resigned his church, and he determined to go. But many tried to discourage him from going. Patton, he recounts this. This is what he writes. He says, I was besieged with the strongest opposition on all sides. One of my seminary professors told me that I was leaving certainty for uncertainty. I was leaving work in which God had made me gratefully useful, only to throw my life away for the cannibals. One dear old Christian deacon said to me, son, the cannibals, you will be eaten by the cannibals. I replied, Mr. Dickinson, You were advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. If I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as well as yours in the glorious likeness of our risen Redeemer. Indeed, he said, the opposition was so strong from nearly all that I was driven to my knees in God with prayer once again. But again, every doubt would vanish when I clearly saw that these poor men and women created in God's image were perishing without even the chance of knowing all of God's love and mercy like I do. 
So Patton's lifelong ministry there was both brutal and exhilarating. He leaves, and he arrives there, him and his wife. And his wife, whom he loved dearly, died bearing their first child on that island. He was under constant siege day and night, always on the lookout for his life. But eventually, he saw a breakthrough. In fact, one of the chiefs who came to Christ asked him, when you first got here, who was that army that guarded your hut each night? You see, the angels of God surrounded his home each night to preserve this gospel witness. When Patton arrived on that island in 1858, there was not a single Christian. But when he died 35 years later on that same island, he wrote this, I do not know a single islander who has not professed faith in Jesus Christ. Where do you perceive the gap? I perceive a gap between how beautiful the gospel is and what the state of our city is. I believe God wants the gospel to be famous here. I believe he wants students who come to study at our universities to see that he is better than anything they've ever studied. I believe he wants there to be a profound spirit of unity in our church so that together we see a revival in our city like we've never seen before. I believe that he wants the gospel to flow to every hungry soul. And together, we claim the promises of God and ask him to help us just follow his leading. The Lion of Judah knows how to shut the mouth of the lions. Daniel was willing to be thrown into the lion's den before he stopped praying. How valuable is prayer? Daniel was willing to lose his life over it. Daniel was willing to persist in prayer until God answered. The return from exile did not happen for some 70 years. Daniel prayed for over 60 years before that answer was given. 60 years. Let me ask you tonight, have you prayed for a long time for something? without any answer being given. Follow Daniel's example and just keep praying. Just keep praying. I'm going to have the music come back at this time. I was over at the North End uh, Church this past Sunday and uh, had the privilege of speaking over there. I was telling the congregation just as we came to a close that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We know this verse, but those verbs that we see in this verse, it denotes continuous action. Jesus literally said, Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Have you been praying for something for days or weeks and, or maybe even years and haven't received the answer yet? Don't quit praying. Christ came to a people that he had to tell, you have not because you ask not. He isn't running out of blessings. He isn't running out of miracles. He isn't running out of revivals. God answered his prayer by shutting the mouths of the lions for Daniel. And then King Darius, he does this once Daniel is hauled up out of that lion's den. King Darius wrote this. He made a better decree. 
this got sent out to all the nations that were underneath of him, to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. And he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we all stand? He is more than able to deal with any lion's den that you were in. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion looking, looking for someone to devour. And since the devil knows the power of prayer, one of the things that he constantly tries to do is to keep us from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. If I could sum up the entire story of Daniel, I would only need three words. And he prayed. The enemy was out to destroy, and he prayed. Destruction was at the door, and he prayed. He was thrown into a den of lions, and a stone was rolled over the door, and he prayed. Prayer, it changes everything. If you need healing in your body tonight, I invite you to step out in faith to the healer. If you need a transformation to take place in your mind, I invite you to reach out to the Creator. He'll be your shield and your buckler even in the lion's den. No matter what you face here tonight, He is all that you need. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.